This season of Sincerely Human is sponsored by Riley Sway Foundation. Through community-focused programs, Riley Sway inspires teens to lead with empathy and kindness to build a better, kinder, more just world. From connecting student leaders to awarding grants for projects that amplify kindness, Riley Sway Foundation equips the next generation of leaders with the tools and resources they need to envision change and achieve it. Please stay tuned for Kindness Calling, our postscript segment featuring the remarkable teens from Riley Sway Foundation. We can't believe it's our last episode for the season. Thank you to everyone who's been with us since the beginning and for those of you who've just discovered Sincerely Human, we want to give you all a big virtual hug. Thank you for joining us week after week. While we're on a break, we encourage you to listen to episodes you might have missed and also follow podcasts from Human Group Media, like Finding Humanity and Plucking Up with Liz Bohannon. You can also stay tuned for exciting announcements from our team through our newsletter, How to Human. All the links are in our show notes. Now, let's get on to this week's episode. In my freshman year of high school, a girl I had never met who attended my old school in New York dressed up as me for Halloween, wore a sign around her neck with my name on it, and posted this online. And suddenly I faced the worst cyberbullying I've ever experienced with so many people I had never met, I had never heard of, who were bullying and harassing me online. And at that point, I hit a really dark place with my mental health. And it was also the moment that kind of pushed me to open up about the bullying I had been going through for so many years, but hadn't quite found a way to communicate it to my mom. You're listening to Sincerely Human, a podcast that tells stories of kindness in action from the lens of today's most inspiring humans. This is Camille. And this is Maverick. Welcome to the show. Bullying is an issue that affects millions of children and teens around the world. Almost one in three students globally is bullied in any given month, according to a 2019 UN study. And in the U.S., these numbers are going up. In 2019, over half of middle and high school students said they had been bullied at school in the past month, a 35% increase when compared to 2016. And as social media becomes more ingrained in our lives, online bullying has also increased. This type of bullying can be incredibly toxic because a post can be shared with thousands or even millions of people. It's also harder to address than face-to-face bullying as people can remain anonymous. For these reasons, schools are often unwilling or unable to hold bullies accountable. After experiencing years of bullying, Asia Mayrock decided to take matters into her own hands. Asia is an author, poet, and performer who has reached thousands of people around the world by speaking out about her experience of being bullied. When Asia was 16 years old, she self-published The Survival Guide to Bullying, 
for young people reading it that have either been bullied or or dealt with similar experiences, I would really hope that they realize that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that they can ask for help, and that there are people that will show up for them in their life. Those are things that I didn't necessarily realize when I was in the midst of my own experience. And so I really wanted to create something that would show young people that that was possible. That's Asia. She started experiencing bullying when she was eight years old. People at her school in New York made fun of the way she spoke. She had a lisp and a stutter. That was a part of my every single day experience um, about so many different parts of who I was as a person. And then as social media became kind of social currency, I faced bullying online as well. I really suffered in silence for so many years because at the time I didn't really have the language to express myself and my experience. I also felt like it was my fault or maybe I was doing something wrong that was causing the bullying. And for whatever reason, I really didn't communicate at the level I needed to with adults in my life to get the help that I needed. When Asia was 13, her family moved to California. And so I had a fresh start and I was very excited to hopefully get away from that experience and have a new beginning. At her new high school, Asia didn't experience any major bullying. She felt relieved and things were starting to go pretty well. But when she was in her freshman year, someone sent her a picture that horrified her. In the photo was a girl from her school in New York, someone she didn't even know. And that girl dressed up as Asia for Halloween. It was so shocking and overwhelming. I really couldn't immediately process what was going on. And suddenly I faced the worst cyberbullying I've ever experienced with so many people I had never met, I had never heard of, who were bullying and harassing me online. And at that point, I hit a really dark place uh, with my mental health and with my experience with bullying. And it was also the moment that kind of pushed me to open up about the bullying I had been going through for so many years, but hadn't quite found a way to communicate it to my mom. A year later, when she was 16, Asia decided to start writing a book based on her experience. She wanted to help students like her who experienced bullying but didn't have the resources or help to deal with it. Writing was a really important therapeutic resource for me in that moment, but something that I wished I had been able to access earlier was therapy because that has also been a really important part of my healing and my journey. But writing has also definitely been such a tool that I've used to work through my experience, to express myself, and to also find passion and meaning in things that I had gone through. Initially, Asia couldn't find anyone to publish her book, The Survival Guide to Bullying. But that didn't stop her. When she was 19, she decided to self-publish. Her book became so popular that a few months later, it got picked up by Scholastic, the world's largest publisher and distributor of children's books. Asia got the chance to work with a psychologist to create a study guide that would go along with her book. She also visited schools across the country to share her experience. And so whenever I would go into these schools, 
I would tell my story through this really long poem. Have you ever hid what made you wonderful? Just so you would fit in and be a regular kid? I did, and I did. For five years, I pretended like I was ordinary in hopes that what made me extraordinary would disappear with the hatred my bullies regurgitated for me to hear. I would have to plug my ears because I would hear their words on repeat until I collapsed into tears. I would sit in the bathroom stall at school staring at the van. It went through all the years I was bullied, and then the study guide went along with the book, which had so many different opportunities of breaking down the book in the classroom and really working with those students to dive deeper into incorporating that work into the school and into their existing curriculum for their classes. Asia is now writing poetry about other topics, such as female empowerment. And I wrote one poem in particular called The Truth About Being a Girl, and I filmed it with BuzzFeed a few years ago now. So here I am speaking out for all my ladies in the house. We will not stop the fight until we hold our rights for women of every color, size, shape, sexual identity, and place in this world. And that is the truth about being a girl. And as soon as it came out, it went viral overnight. And I started working on more and more poetry, collaborating with different companies. And I created this um, really special and really beautiful community on Instagram of, I would say, mostly young people around the world that I think really resonated with the poetry and the messages. And it's been really exciting and really beautiful. Last year, Asia published her second book, Dear Girl, a collection of poetry that speaks to the pain and beauty of being a woman in our society today. This experience made Asia realize that anything is possible. Never let someone tell you that you are not capable of your dreams. Connect with that part of yourself that is so passionate and so driven and allow it to guide you towards whatever passions and dreams that you have for a better world. And um, I would say don't be afraid of the unconventional or the untraditional path. I remember when I started to look for publishers and I couldn't find a publisher for my first book because I didn't have any experience with the industry. I didn't know anyone and I self-published. I was really afraid that my message wouldn't be seen, but self-publishing really opened a door for me to find readers online and then eventually get to my publisher Scholastic. Once something Asia feared, Social media became a tool to spread her message far and wide. She started receiving hundreds of messages from people saying things like, Thank you for putting words to something that I was trying to describe but couldn't quite find the words for. And so for me, that's really powerful because a lot of what I write about for so long, I felt like I couldn't find the words for either. I believe that vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And so... I think a lot of people will reach out and share their stories of things that they have overcome, whether it's with bullying or sexism or whatever it might be. However, Asia recognizes that social media can also be detrimental to mental health. Social media definitely still does make me anxious, I would say. I try to create my poetry kind of in bulk so that I have 
kind of a well to pick from and post from every single week. And so I can spend less time on it because for me personally, I don't like to spend too much time on social media. I don't feel like it's the best for my mind and my creativity. I really encourage young people to just be very mindful of how they feel when they're on social media, the types of accounts they follow and how that might affect how they see themselves or see their life. Um, and then also to make sure that you are using whatever security and privacy tools that the apps offer you so that you are not dealing with ongoing bullying. And you can definitely take a break, delete the app or just log out and come back to it when you're feeling better. But you have to put your mental health and your well-being first and then using these really powerful tools second. Asia also advises people who experience bullying to ask for help when they need it. You don't need to go through bullying alone and you might not recognize in the moment the effect on your mental health that bullying and particularly cyberbullying can really have. And so I always say create a top five list of the adults in your life that you trust and go to them and ask for help. And if they don't listen or if they don't understand or if they don't do something about it, keep going to the other adults on that list and keep advocating for yourself because sometimes other people won't show up for you and you have to have your own back and advocate for yourself. I think it's very easy I'll just speak for bullying when you're going through bullying to think you're the only one going through it and to think that you're the only one that will understand that experience and that pain and all of that. But looking back, I can see that there were so many different people in my life that were either being bullied in my school or adults that had overcome similar experiences. And so I wished I'd been able to open my eyes to that a little bit more, but That's another message that I hope to encourage young people who are going through similar things to um, try to take notice of best they can. And if you want to help people who might be struggling with bullying, Asia reminds us that a small act of kindness can go a long way. I always remember the little moments of kindness, especially when I was going through bullying, that would really get me through the week and things that could change my entire day. And so if you see someone struggling or if you feel like they might be going through something, just say something or do something that is kind and from your heart because you have no idea how that could change someone's life, how that could save someone's life. Um, It's really hard to know what someone else is going through. And so I just encourage everyone to try to live with as much of an open heart as you possibly can and to keep an eye out for people that might be struggling. If you want to connect with Asia, you can follow her on Instagram and Facebook at Asia May Rock or check out her website, asiamayrock.com. In this edition of Kindness Calling, we're excited to talk about how we can support diversity in arts and share the work of Anya Shukla and Catherine Lau. Anya and Kat are founders of Colorization Collective. We aim to provide teen artists of color with resources and opportunities and most importantly, I think a community of people who look like them and share their experiences. That's Anya. 
And then in doing so, we really hope to push for diversity and inclusivity in the arts. Both Kat and Anya have been dancing ballet since they were little and eventually grew a passion for musical theater. But it wasn't until Kat and Anya took the same acting intensive program at Seattle Children's Theater when their love for the arts overlapped. Among the cohort of young actors, there were only a few who were um, actors of color and a similar situation in the mentors and adults that we were working with. That's Kat. But through that program, we got to have a lot of really great dialogues, both with our fellow actors and with our mentors, specifically about color blind and color conscious casting and listening to everyone's stories. A lot of people had similar experiences to being typecast a certain way, not being able to escape a stereotype through their whole creative process. After the program, she and Anya pondered on how they and other aspiring artists with similar experiences can combat racial barriers. We started out with a web series that featured teen artists of color. And that was really, even before the organization was fully fleshed out, that was really the grounding project and what we wanted to focus on. And so from there, we've expanded. We do more, we write blog articles, reviews. We just recently finished a mentorship program, which paired teen artists of color with adult artists of color. Um, And that was really exciting. Through their web series called Refocus, they share the experience of teen artists of color from ages 13 to 19. That's Sri Balasubramanian, a young Indian classical singer. Sri shares that initially, her self-doubt may have been a hurdle in pursuing her dreams. As part of a choir, she would ask things like, am I supposed to be here? Am I supposed to be friends with them? Can I do this? But then she realized, none of that really matters. Like Sri, Anya speaks about her experience as a teen artist of color. Hypothetically, if I was someone who didn't have any exposure to, say, I don't know, like South Asian people, for example. Um, And then I saw a lot of artwork um, or a lot of TV shows that had this nerdy Indian stereotype. That would be the mental image that I would subconsciously kind of get of this is what all Indian people are like. And so I think on the flip side, art has the potential to also, if you see a diversity of voices and a diversity of experiences in art, you become more aware of people who think differently or have different experiences than you do. Anya and Kat believe that their work enables them to practice and nurture values of empathy and kindness. By listening to stories of teens of color, they want to provide a space where their experiences are validated. I think young people, they just have this, some people call it naive, but this need to approach others from a place of equality first, I think. We haven't really lived long enough to get super deep-seated resentments sewn into our bones and stuff like that. Um, And I think our generation specifically, we've grown up between that very outdoor, spending a lot of time outside to the more online, virtual entertainment um, education stuff. We're kind of in the middle. Like, I've got tons of memories of PBS Kids and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood um, and an equal amount of just chilling in the backyard with blackberry bushes and my brother just kind of wrestling in the yard. (laughs) I love you, Jonathan. And so I think having that 
multifaceted view of being super grounded in reality and where you are, but also having that ability and knowledge of social media and networking through Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn um, allows for our networks and venues of change to be a lot broader than previous generations. By the way, the Colorization Collective applied to the 2019 Call for Kindness competition and didn't get accepted. But they decided to try again in 2020. And this time, they made it and got a grant. So we all know the lesson there. That's it for Kindness Calling. If you want to learn more about the Colorization Collective, you can learn more at colorization.org. Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, Riley's Way Foundation. On January 25th, Riley's Way Foundation opened its national initiative, the Call for Kindness competition for its third year. Teens from all around the country can submit their projects and ideas that are designed to make a difference and inspire kindness in their communities. Winners will be given $3,000 each to help implement their projects with their school or nonprofit partners. Deadline to submit entries is on April 7th. To learn more about the Call for Kindness and other life-changing programs at Riley's Way Foundation, please head on over to rileysway.org or callforkindness.org. Links are in our show notes. Thank you for joining us on our season finale. Please take care, be good to one another, and we'll catch you all again soon.